Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Seeking Sustainability. So today's episode is with a friend of mine, Hazel. Um, She's like one of my internet friends, kind of. And um, we connected a couple months ago when she interviewed me for her Instagram, uh, which is at Climate Operation. So Hazel's based in Uganda and she in Kampala, Uganda, and she runs an organization or program called Climate Operation. Uh, She's doing all of the things, guys. So she graduated from law school. She's now pursuing her, or she's going to start pursuing her master's. Um, And just a fair warning in that this conversation, uh, we were both like really sleepy and loopy. So we're both like laughing a lot, but it's like loopy laughter. I was like five, no, that's all. I was like seven minutes late to this conversation. Um, which I swear is not how it normally is. I I had overslept and then Hazel had just woken up from like a nap. Um, so yeah, we were both just like really loopy and, but it's still a good conversation. It's worth listening to. Um, and she's, I just love talking to her. She's so fun to talk to. So um, yeah, and we were bonding over after the conversation, we were bonding over how we both are just like, like to read books and not talk to people and well it's funny because we both interview people but then you know we both just love taking naps and reading books and uh yeah I I love her she's so sweet and so funny and so intelligent and she's just so interesting to listen to um and it was really interesting to listen to her talk about Uganda and the lack of climate policy there and all the work that she's doing through climate operation which includes working with kids and going to schools and having them plant trees. It's seriously so amazing what she does. So make sure to follow her on Instagram, like I said, at Climate Operation. And without further ado, let's welcome Hazel to Seeking Sustainability. Well, if you're ready, let's get into the interview. Um, I am ready. Well, Hazel, thank you so much for joining me. Um, (laughs) Thank you for having me as well. I know, we're like both in our pajamas slash sweats. <laughs> really that's a mood. Sense. Yeah, it's really a mood for today, you know. <laughs> a Saturday, just chilling. This is me today. Will I eat a cookie for breakfast? Maybe. That's likely. Um I won't eat a cookie for breakfast. I, okay, I, I have no cookies in my house, so I won't be eating a cookie for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> well, my opening question that I always ask everyone um is in your opinion what does it mean to be an environmentalist Hmm. that's a very interesting question so to me in my opinion what does it mean to be an environmentalist well for starters i think if i'm being honest i actually didn't start out as an environmentalist because as i was telling you as a law student and was studying about like oil and gas law and just going deeper into how oil and gas is like affecting the environment and then like in Uganda, how we have not yet really like gone into like renewable energy, we are still relying a lot on oil and gas. So that topic of environmentalism and like protecting our planet wasn't something that was happening here in Uganda. And I think that is how I entered into the environmental space. So to me, being an environmentalist is basically for one, educating people here in Uganda about climate change because they actually really don't know about climate change. Most don't care. But so what I've been doing is that we have been um, chatting to them about the human impact of climate change. Like recently, it has been really hot in Uganda for so long. And 
this is the longest it has been hot. So I was telling people that, you know, these are literally effects of climate change and people are getting sicker. Some people are getting heat strokes because of the heat. So kind of giving them that awareness of that these are the human impacts of climate change so you need to care so to me that what it that's what it means to be an environmentalist kind of creating that awareness and educating people on the effects of climate change and that they can actually just take really simple steps to protect themselves to protect the environment so to me that's what it means that's awesome yeah i mean you're doing an amazing job at educating people how hot is it there right now um it started raining this week which was amazing but it was hot from because the rainy season was supposed to start in february but it lasted till last this monday with this week this monday so it was as hot as i think 40 degrees celsius and it was really really hot (laughs) and this is the most interesting thing about uganda you know most people actually don't have access or they actually just can't afford ACs. So when it's hot, it's really hot, like it's scorching. And guys who are getting heat strokes in the home, like for example, here at home, it was so hot. And I was telling my mom that it's really hot. And literally it has never been as hot as this. And she's like, yes, this is climate change. But because the government doesn't know or like doesn't, I, I, would, I would say doesn't really care because it doesn't impact their economic policies to an extent. That's why nothing was happening about it. But thank God it started raining on Monday. So we have been getting a little bit of drizzles. Hopefully it's going to become like a shower. Though Again, we pray that doesn't lead to floods because that often happens. Eat. Kind of like a dangerous cycle happening here. That's crazy. So, and then we'll get more into kind of your interest in government policy because that ties into mm-hmm. um, that you went to law school, which is so badass. Um, and so if you could just talk about yourself, so introduce yourself, introduce um, the initiatives that you have, who you are, what you're passionate about. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I'm Hazel Najinda and I'm from Uganda. I currently live in Kampala. Uh, I'm 24 years old. I graduated from law school in last year, December. Uh, as I was saying, I basically got into the environment after actually doing law because I I was doing like environmental law and oil and gas law. And that's when I realized that people don't know about the environment and climate change. And because of this, they actually cannot like do anything about it. So that's when I formed climate operation. So what climate operation does is that we go to schools and we educate young children about climate change and like its intersectionality with gender and health, that kind of educating them about the human impacts arising out of climate change. Because I believe that if you educate children about climate change and its intersection, this is going to challenge them to actually innovate climate solutions that are currently not in the country, but will be needed for them because as everyone is saying they are the future generations. So these innovations need to be innovated before things become worse. Then also something we do is that we involve them in tree planting uh, activities because it's not just about spreading information. I think if you actually engage someone and like connect them to nature and like, you know, they plant trees, then they're challenged more, they're encouraged to actually take care of their environment, right? Like I was telling yesterday, we had an activity at a school 
and I was telling a girl that, you know, it's actually okay if you like hug a tree if you're stressed. <laughs> and of course she laughed at me. <laughs> she was like, what will hugging a tree do to me? And I was like, I don't know, but it's kind of calming, you know, hug a tree. Have fun with it, you know. You can, because you see, we really don't look at our connection with nature, but we actually really just pass by trees. But then if we really think about what trees do for us, we really appreciate them more like they do a lot for us. So kind of connecting them with that nature and also like showing them the importance of it and them also engaging in those activities encourages them to further take steps to care of the environment. That's a little bit about me. Yeah. That's well, okay. So the, the tree planting, which you had told me about before. Okay, first, so cute. But um also I think, yeah, like when you have like people, it's gonna be harder for people to destroy or cut down what they have an emotional mm-hmm. connection with. And like if children from a young age don't see trees as this like static, just inanimate object but like a living thing that they've like nurtured and and grown then they'll realize like the value of it if that makes sense that's that's very true you know because like here um we cut down most of our trees for agriculture but then the problem is that after actually also cutting down those trees and planting let's say the crops the methods of farming that we use are so unsustainable that the moment you remove the crops the soil is barren, you cannot plant again. So that's also another discussion entirely. But I completely agree with you that when you engage, when someone actively participates in, for example, tree planting or any other type of activity for the environment, that kind of creates an emotional connection with them in that they will not cut down the tree that they have nurtured. And they will also kind of also encourage their friends not, for example, cut down the trees, around them and also in a way to for example not just basically destroy the environment because i think it's not just about planting trees but it's just about our daily habits for example littering of plastic that damages the environment like basically the trees that you have planted it also damages our health so all that is just kind of interlinked so kind of encouraging them to just think about it broadly and also participate just enriches a human being that wants to be to conserve the environment and you know for their future because in my opinion i think in a few years time these children will be old and like what's happening right now we are blaming our governments for what has been done to the environment and by then we will be the adults and the children right now will be our age and they'll be blaming mm-hmm. us for what's happening to the environment. Yeah. That is why kind of sensitizing them right now and actually instilling in them this thing that you guys can act now regardless of the fact that you're young. Because right now we often think that because someone is young, they cannot do anything with they can. So kind of telling them that you guys, you're young, yes, it's okay, but you can actually start innovating now, you can do something. Is some, that is something that I want I, I plan for climate operation to do and we are doing and I hope it actually really works out for them because they are the future and they are really amazing. It will. I mean there's no way that your efforts aren't gonna impact like at least like it'll stick with at least a few, you know? Like hopefully it will. <laughs> it definitely will. Um I hope I word this question like 
decently. I'm trying to figure out how to word it. Are, have you had any like really inspiring moments with the kids? Like, mm-hmm. or, or like any, any moments that like someone, like one of the kids has said something and you've been like, oh my gosh, yes. Or like, just so inspired. I really have. I think this has happened twice. Actually, I have inspiring moments whenever we go to schools. I think my first inspiring moment was the first school we went to. And before actually starting these activities, I had this mindset that our children really don't know a lot about climate change. So we're going to schools. And then after that, we, we start with our education sessions of what is climate change, what are effects, and they knew so much. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Ah, These kids, like they, they know everything. And they're like, yes, we know what climate change is. It's bad. We even saw on TV that like the rainforests were burning and they are cutting them down. And I was so inspired. Then of course, even like kind of asking them the advantage of trees and they knew it, that was quite inspiring. Then I think something that personally is still in my mind. So we went to this school, it's called Kisasi Primary. And um, they were actually doing mock-ups of innovation. So like they had made like a city that is powered by like solar energy and like uh, exactly right. It's so amazing, <laughs> like phenomenal. And I was like, I asked the teacher who did this. And it was like, the kids had done it. They had made, uh, they had reused plastic and made like a chair out of plastic instead of littering it. So those innovations, so inspiring. So that is why as I, I was telling someone that children are so innovative. So it doesn't actually take a lot of them to innovate. And those are the inspiring, those are things that whenever I keep seeing, they're so inspiring because it shows that deep down, they actually really care about things, but maybe because they don't have that much information, but if you give it to them and tell them, you guys, this thing can actually work, then they will actually do amazing things. So I think those are the inspiring things that I have seen. The fact that children are already innovating climate solutions, of course, they are not being, can I say, um, uh, they're not out there for the world to see or for the country to see but it shows that they are taking an initiative and actually it's, if they are supported, then those things can work. So those are the inspiring moments to me that have really made me so happy and I'm quite excited to see how further that goes for them. Oh my gosh, that's so, that's so cute and beautiful. Yeah, I mean, well, that's, that's so wild that they were doing all those projects. Can you imagine in schools too, like around the world, if they mm-hmm. had kids do projects like that, where it's like, okay, let's, here's this plastic that our class has collected, like, let's do something with it. Or like, you know, like telling them, making them feel like they are totally capable of innovating and creating um, and, you know, changing that the world. would be amazing. Cause like here in Uganda, I keep referring to Uganda because I don't know what's happening all over the world. I've seen what's happening here. <laughs> So forgive me if I keep referring to here. I don't know. I don't know the environmental policies in schools all over the world, but here in Uganda, um, as I was saying, climate change for one is something that's for one not in our curriculum. So it's not taught. So basically people go through school and they really don't know anything about climate change or like greenhouse gas emissions, the human impacts of climate change. And it's only if you educate yourself about what's happening that you're like, oh, actually that's happening. So if such projects were made large scale in schools and like such innovations were supported whereby a child is not just going to innovate something but they are going to innovate it and then they are going to implement it either in their school or in their community 
so kind of it's an incentive for them to go further with their innovations to actually be like okay fine i did this it worked for my school or it worked for my communities so what can i do that's actually now going to help my country like i was telling you it has been really hot that is a problem and then another problem is that most ugandans cannot afford acs so i was talking to my brother recently and i was like i would dare us give someone money like i would invest in an innovation that is going to make sure like create a cooling system for ugandan houses that is cheaper than what people pay for ac here i could totally see you being like an investor like how cool would that be if you you like invested or when i get that when i, get I know that, we, we got it really loaded i would be a green investor for real because it's really I feel like it's really inspiring because people, young people here have a lot of ideas, ideas that can make a change, but they are just not supported in a way. So in my opinion, when I reach that extent that I'm like, okay, fine, I can actually financially back this idea. And we have gone through the steps that this is something that, you know, feasible, it can work. It can actually even be scaled. Then yeah, for sure. I'll definitely invest in such ideas for this country because they are really needed, mostly when it comes to the environmental sector, because it's not it's something that has not is not been given that much attention currently. Yeah. That would be yeah. so cool. Like even doing micro invest investments. So even mm-hmm. if it's like a few hundred dollars here and then like a couple thousand dollars here, it's like mm-hmm. that would that would be so awesome. That would be amazing. I feel like it would go such a long way to, you know, oh, towards yeah creating amazing innovations to also kind of bring that sense of independence with like Mm -hmm. people here because um, I was at a webinar recently and they were talking about NGOs and how NGOs make people reliant on them and funding and when they leave the societies actually can are not self-reliant so actually so that is also something whereby I personally wouldn't want to take someone's idea and like make sure that they don't have a say in it but kind of creating that self-reliance that yeah. this is yours and despite of the fact that if i'm not there or if, for example the people that are finding your idea are not there it can work so that kind of self-reliance and independence whereby you're not going to actually heavily rely on the people giving you support but you can actually do it on your own and you're like proud of your idea that not only has my idea worked, but for example, it's not even providing employment opportunities to my peers. It's also inspiring other people to do things like me. So it's just amazing, you know, because we have bright minds here, you know. They're all just yeah in space thinking about what to do. <laughs> so, so Well, I don't a, know why I say that. <laughs> crack me up. Um, <laughs> so, well, I, okay, that's something to think about. That would be, like, really cool. I can't wait to see you do that. Yeah, I mean, it's like feeding money into lo- your local economy. And that's pretty wild because I've actually heard that conversation, the same conversation here. Mm-hmm. Like, these NGOs that are based in the U.S. that go abroad and, like, help people. But it's, like... Mm-hmm. It's, it's like they're kind of 
yeah, people aren't allowed, like, they're not allowing people to be self-reliant and actually build up, like, local economies and things like that. Exactly. It's kind of, like, it kind of borders into, like, a white savorism kind of thing. Oh, 100%. Yeah, totally. Because that is personally me, how, how I see it happening here. It's totally that. Yeah, oh, totally. You come, you come to help communities, but it clearly shows that the moment you leave, these communities are going to go back to how they have been. So in conclusion, you haven't done anything. Okay, you have done something, but you have not left them self-reliant there. Right. Well, the moment you leave, they are going to be like, oh, now what next? What are we going to do that? Who are helping us have left? So that is something that I personally would love to change. I wouldn't want the communities that we help or like the schools that we go to, I wouldn't want them to think that it's only with us that they are going to thrive. I would want them to think that, okay, these guys have come. They are a stepping stone for us to actually be better people, to be better communities. And like whatever innovations we create, yes, we will have support, but they are ours. We are independent, meaning we can actually do it. So that, you know, just raising people that believe in themselves, believe in their innovations, in their ideas, that they can take them further and that we are just, you know, yeah, that we are just there <laughs> to, you know, guide you forward, just paving the way forward. We are not here to save you <laughs> or something like that. That's so awesome. Girl, you're going to go so far. I mean, you already are, but I can't wait to see you on the cover of a magazine yeah. or something. Um. <laughs> In like Forbes 30 under 30. I could see that. Oh, that would be cool. You have six I will years definitely, left. I will, I will definitely call you when that happens. Yeah. And like, you know, checking everything I'm having. <laughs> yeah. I will well, definitely call you. We can have a party over Zoom and eat ice cream together. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be cool. Or a cocktail. I'm more of an ice cream gal though. Um i feel like we'll just do it over a tub of ice cream (laughs) you're so funny um so can you talk about your experience in law school and some of the things you learned like why did Mm -hmm. you pursue that also that's stressful um oh my gosh like who's to you for getting (laughs) through law school um yeah and just talk about that and some of the things you learned and and how you see that kind of you know impacting your trajectory going forward with your career okay that's an amazing question so um how can I (laughs) I think I can just start from the start you know so growing up I always wanted to be a lawyer because my family has so many lawyers you know so like why not (laughs) so went to law school if I'm being honest with you it wasn't that hard (laughs) because naturally (laughs) I am I I really like reading and like (laughs) And like with law school, you kind of have no social life. So it's kind of also like also like entered into my introverted self. <laughs> so we just entered in there. So about the things I learned, um, it's amazing. It, I think it was in my third year of law school when we could now take what we wanted. And I was really interested in like environmental law and like you can do like an apprenticeship or something. So I was working at a law firm. And I was talking to my supervisor and I was telling her that uh, I'm really passionate about the environment and stuff to do with energy. 
and she thought I was passionate about oil and gas, but I was like, no, not oil and gas, but like renewable energy. Basically, things that are going to help the future because renewable energy is actually the future. It can be seen with the trajectory around the world right now. Most countries are phasing out their oil and gas systems and adopting renewable energy systems. So that's something that I was telling her about. And she was telling me that right now in Uganda, renewable energy is something that we are not really at, but we are going to be there. So she told, then that's, I think, when she advised me to go further and dig deeper into the oil and gas industry. And I think that is what I did with like law. Um, I did oil and gas law, so we really got into that. And I kind of started to realize uh, learning about the systems of the oil and gas um, uh, industry here in Uganda and abroad. And from that is now when I really asked myself, what kind of lawyer do I want to be? Because you can be, there are so many types of lawyers, you know, there are commercial lawyers, there are so many types of lawyers. So I think that is how, when I decided after graduation to focus on oil and gas, no, on renewable energy policy and environmental policies and kind of ensure that going forward in regards to my law career, the policies that I advocate for, for the cases that I'm advocating for are in regards to ensuring that our environment is protected and that renewable energy is what our country is actually bringing in. Those are the investments that are coming in and that we start to slowly phase out oil and gas uh, mechanisms. As actually, it's interesting, I was talking to someone recently again, and they were saying that um, the global north has really benefited from oil and gas. So we also asked the global south need an opportunity to benefit from oil and gas. So why don't they leave us for some time to pollute the environment as we develop? And then after that, we shall start also phasing out oil and gas and start looking into renewable energy. And of course, I was telling him, but then you have to really be realistic. It's not like as if we are as the global south are in 2003 and they're in 2020 we are all in the same year so it's not like climate change is affecting us differently whereby for them it's affecting them more that's why they are phasing out oil and gas and first has just started affecting us and i was also telling him that you should really look at the fact that us in the global south are facing the most effects like we are at the brunt of climate change and to make things worse we don't even have the mechanisms, at least the most mechanisms, to kind of combat those impacts. Whereby, for example, if there is a landslide here because of climate change, most of the people are going to die. The government is going to take like five months to ensure that everyone is resettled, which is something that I believe wouldn't happen in the global north. In the global north, I think that such a thing would like be solved in a week or something. Here, it will take long. So that is why I was telling him that when you look at it in regards to like the financial sector capitalism that we need to develop, I think we don't need to develop in a way that we, are, we keep damaging our environment. We need to develop progressively. And the only way we can develop progressively is if we start to embrace renewable energy systems, sustainable systems. Our companies need to start producing sustainably because here our companies don't produce sustainably. They pollute the environment. They are not taxed. Most of our companies here that pollute the most have tax exemptions. So those that are polluting the most, in my opinion, need to be paying the most, which is not happening. So those are all the things. I feel like I have really gone around the, <laughs> the, the, the topic, but basically from my law degree and my law experience, 
that is what I learned. And like the trajectory that I see for myself, as I was saying, I have a degree in law and um, hopefully in September I'll be going for my master's and I'm planning on majoring in a renewable energy policy and environmental law policy. So in that trajectory, that is where I see myself going. I see myself in a sphere whereby I not only continue doing my work with climate operation, but as a lawyer advocating for sustainable practices, mostly in Uganda, because that's something that's not happening here at all and needs to change. That's so awesome. Oh my gosh. That's really interesting too. Cause like, I mean, with our new president, like in the US with our new president, I mean, things are going to change because he ha- he does mm-hmm. have like some sort of climate initiative, but like renewable energy, even here is like a debate. And I'm like, why? <laughs> like, there's nothing to debate. Are you guys stupid? Like, and, and some people are so against it. And I'm like, no. Exactly. Like, <laughs> like, for example, I think in the US, why some people might be against it is because I think uh, in the US, people use a lot of coal. Am I right? You have coal yeah, mines. We do. Yeah, yeah. So um, I was talking, no, actually I was reading somewhere and the reason why some people were against it was because with renewable energy coming in, most of the people that are working in the coal mines are going to lose their jobs, something mm. like that. Yes. So that kind of also brings in that topic of how are you going to phase out the polluters to bring in the better practices? Right. Which is an interesting topic. And it's so kind of like, mm-hmm. well, I was just going to say, like, it's kind of, I think, like, to my understanding, um, and I could be wrong, but I think it's like, um, really about trans like telling people that you're gonna transition their jobs not and I there's an episode it'll be the one that I post this Sunday and um this I was talking to this girl Helena who um and she was we talked about this and she was like there's a lack of storytelling and communication Mm -hmm. on behalf of governments when there's initiatives like people have this fear and then it's like um in at least in the U.S. and it could be similar in other places there's like the divide between the left and the right and it's like but really like the government has a plan not to like romanticize them but like they have a plan and she was saying how like there's just a complete lack of storytelling and communication and like if there is a way that the government they should like talk to these people and be like okay this is actually what's gonna happen like we're gonna we're going to pivot. We're going to transition, but you're not going to lose your We're job. Not We're going just going to fire you. What'd you say? Exactly. I was saying yeah. like, they're not going to fire you from your job. They're actually yeah. just going to transition. So that kind of also kind of relieves the tension from the employees in the fact that they're not losing their jobs. So we can transition to cleaner ways to, to like produce, but we're not firing you. And as you said, there's a lack of storytelling. There are these people who just want to, um, <clears throat> can I say, poison the minds of the masses that with the transitioning from the wrong way to produce to cleaner ways, it, it's kind of like going to like disturb the economy, make people lose their jobs and things like that. So there's that lack of communication between the governments and then the companies and even that point, the companies themselves, they also kind of need to be a little bit more, um, uh, more honest with the way they communicate these things with their employees. Mm-hmm. So I totally agree with you. Yeah. In the beginning, when you were um, introducing yourself, you were you said that people in Uganda don't really care 
or at least from what you've witnessed, don't really care about climate change. Do you think there's a reason? <clears throat> oh, jeez. Do you think there's a reason for that? Or is you, I mean, oh, is yeah. it because of government or and like the lack of policy or is it just, why do you think that is? Um, I think it's a, it's a two-way uh, answer in that we really have so many social issues. I mean, we have poverty, unemployment, there's so much happening in Uganda. And right now, something like climate change, it is happening. We are facing the impact, but now that is where the government comes in because the government and like, I would say the big organizations are not advocating for it, meaning the public is not aware of it. Because like now here in Uganda, something that we're really advocating for, and that's why everyone is behind it, is the social issue of sexual reproductive health, um, menstrual poverty. So that's something that's really being advocated for. So that's why you see the public cares about it. People want to do better. So now when it comes to something like climate change, the government, the organizations are not talking about it. They're not saying that, oh, we need to change the way we produce. We need to change the type of goods that we buy or like we need to stop cutting down our trees. So because of that, no one actually knows what's happening. And then those that know about it really don't care. Like it's actually, <laughs> it's interesting. Oh my God, someone this week told me, Hazel, why are you advocate? Why no? She told me, why are you doing white people things? That climate change is such a white people problem. And I was like, what? Like, yes, we really, do. as the person was like, Ugandans, no, Africans, she told me Africans really don't care about climate change. And I was like, why don't we care about climate change? Actually, like, because it doesn't concern us here, we don't have ice caps melting. And so you see, there's a lack of sensitization whereby some, someone would think that climate change is all about the ice caps melting. So it's more about the fact that we have not been educated enough. There's no education out there. There's no sensitization out there. The policies are non-existent. <laughs> or if they are there, they are just being like mixed and there's a lot of corruption in there because here we are at least someone can construct an industry in a swamp, which can, shouldn't be happening, but they can. So it's kind of what's happening. People are not really educated about climate change, so they don't know what's happening. They don't care about it because to them, they are not facing the impact or they are facing them indirectly and they don't know they are facing the impact. So that's what's happening. And then the fact that like, for example, we have slums here and those slums are heavily polluted. And because of all that pollution, other social issues that the people in the slums are facing are actually increased, which is something again, people don't know. Like you could go in a slum. I was, I was working with another organization and they mostly do things around poverty. So I went to a slum and that place has a lot of plastic and it's all over that place. Then they have like stagnant water, green stagnant water filled with mosquitoes. And I was asking, why is this, why isn't this water moving? And the person was like, because trash was just poured in there. So it's blocked. So all that is actually making the people in the slum sick. It's, so those are all the things whereby people are also not aware of the fact that the more we harm our environment, the more the social issues that the country is currently complaining about are increased, that they're exhibited. So it's more about the fact that we really don't know about it. And 
to appoint our government really doesn't care for now because it's heavily um it's at an advantage for example if it cuts down forests to plant um crops that they are going to export to other countries so they really don't care that's wild when you were talking about how someone was like well we don't have ice caps melting like it doesn't affect Mm -hmm. us that made me think of it was like a year ago probably um I was watching an Instagram live with this woman from conservation.org. I forgot where she, where in Africa she was based in, but she was talking about how like she, um, how she has like actually literally seen the impact in her own neighborhood and her own community and, and where she grew up because she said when she was little, she would be able to like identify all the different bugs that she would see and now mm-hmm. they're gone. Nothing. And I, I don't, it was like wild. Like I, I was just so shook by that. Um, exactly. So yeah, that just kind of made me think of that. That's crazy. And then there's also a way, like, as I said, there's also like something I've also realized is that people here heavily rely on like the news and really don't go deeper to also investigate on themselves because mm. i remember recently um it was really hot and not only was it really hot but the air was so stuck like it was brown the air was literally brown oh my god exactly the air was brown all over whereby someone even sent me a video and i was like this is how it's been for us for a whole day and i was telling someone you guys where you live because here industries are just all over the place like you can be in a residential area with an industry next to you so this person lives in a place whereby they have industries around them and i was like that is pollution that is literally pollution from the industries around you and this is what happened the (laughs) the ministry of um, environment clearly went on their twitter and said oh no don't worry about what's happening with the air these are just the like the, the the sahara desert winds migrating I was like, what? Are you guys serious? <laughs> <laughs> and everyone believed it. I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> so you see, That's like, far. <laughs> I was like, you guys, are you actually serious about this? You are <laughs> hiding the fact that the industries around the residential areas of people are polluting their air, and you're blaming this on the Sahara desert winds pushing the air into the country and making <laughs> it was just wild. So that's something, again, that happens here. We have our ministries, mostly our Ministry of of Environment has a way in which it just covers up things, like how it recently was going to cut down a a forest, like a real big forest to plant rice until everyone just had to start striking. And then they were like, okay, fine, we have paused, but they're actually going to like just cut down a whole forest and plant rice. So, yeah. That's something that's just happening here. That's just, it's just this corruption and just incomplacency from them. They are not doing the right thing, which needs to be changed as well. Yeah. Well, that kind of leads into the next question that I have, that I kind of <clears throat> have been thinking about this whole episode. Well, first, we should totally do an episode where it's just us talking about different messed up agriculture practices here and in Uganda. Yes. <laughs> but um, also... Uh, would you ever be interested in going into local politics? Uh, if I'm being honest, I wouldn't. 
the political <laughs> situation here is very messed up like it's so messed up it's filled with corruption then there's a way how like our politicians always just end up getting shot and <laughs> or like being threatened so it's like a lot of violence like it's 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 too complicated yeah that's something someone has asked me as well that everything that you're doing with would you consider like going into politics and there are different ways in which someone can be a leader and yeah. i believe like what i'm doing and also what i plan to do in the future um would be a sense of me being a leader but i wouldn't necessarily like run for office like to be like a member of parliament or anything because of the the complete disregard of the rule of law here like <laughs> things don't work it's and unless something changes in the future but if it doesn't i wouldn't be interested because from what i've seen for example um i am 24 right now my mom is 53 and uh, my mom has had the same president still today so that clearly shows right he has been the president since my mom was born so that clearly shows <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want to be in in, in office with, yeah, like I wouldn't want to be in office with someone like like that is something I wouldn't want. Like it's too long. So yeah, but that is not how I would want to show my 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 leadership. I would prefer to do it in an independent way whereby I am not uh kind of influenced by the the by by the politics of this country. Yeah. Well, you're going to make such an impact. Like, I really, I mean, you already have, but, like, I'm saying that seriously from the bottom of my heart. Like, I hope like you're going to make a huge difference. And it's also so cool that you're so passionate about your home country. Like, you know, like, you, that you want to stay and do the work. Like, that is mm-hmm. so admirable. And I think that's something that needs to be done, you know, like, I, I'm, and I'm not blaming anyone for what they do or like for what how their paths in life. But I think if, if, if you have the privilege to do it, because all of us are privileged to a point. And like, for example, mm-hmm. where I am, the fact that, for example, I'm educated and I have access to certain things that others don't have. I believe that using that privilege actually, you know, benefit my community. I wouldn't say country because I've just said it out, but hopefully in the future country, but like my community, like using that privilege to benefit them is something that I definitely love doing. So yes, I agree with you. That's awesome. Yes. Well, my closing question, and then you can take a nap. <laughs> I feel like we were both so loopy at like one point in the conversation. We really are. <laughs> uh, I'm going to listen back to this and just laugh the whole time. Um, but my... <laughs> My closing question is, um, as an individual and an environmentalist, what gives you hope for the future? Hmm. That's quite the question. (laughs) Okay. What gives me hope for the future? Well, something that gives me hope for the future is that um, finally, what's happening right now is the fact that as young people, we have realized that we have a voice. And that's something that really gives me hope and also the fact that not only do we have a voice but we can actually do things that we can speak for what we want and that the adults in power can listen and can start to like you know act on what we want and also something that gives me hope as well is that the fact that um 
I don't want I don't want to say um, uh, black people, but marginalized communities, their voices and their experiences are finally starting to be amplified. And like the world is starting to be like, okay, this individual or these people are not only going through this, but there are people in those communities that are doing amazing things to ensure that their communities are protected. So all that gives me hope, it gives me hope for the future that now the world is not going to like for example look at let me give an example of africa and be like oh africa is just a place that like has war but the fact that africa is a place that has amazing individuals who are doing amazing things it has amazing talent with amazing innovations and also us here like the young people here the fact that they are also now starting to be more um confident in themselves that they really don't have to rely on external forces to be great that is also something that is really giving me hope for the future because um our education system as i said is still quite colonized we still learn about okay i don't know what's happening right now but when i was in school we're learning about things that to me are none of my concern because I'm I don't know and like why would I want to know about something like that because it does not relate to my country or even to my continent <laughs> so our education system is quite colonized but the fact that these days people are willing to go a step further to educate themselves it gives them that independence to also now think further than the colonized education that they have received and that really gives me hope of the fact that we are now going to like not really rely on external forces to validate the fact that we can actually create amazing things for our country. So all that gives me hope, it gives me hope for the future. Thank you again, everyone, for tuning in to this episode of Seeking Sustainability. If you enjoyed this episode or any others that you've listened to, then make sure to follow the podcast on whatever platform you're tuning in from. Also, to stay connected, you can follow the podcast Instagram at Seeking Sustainability underscore podcast and my personal Instagram at Julia.Planford. As always, feel free to reach out to me regarding any questions, comments, or episode requests. And of course, share this podcast with anyone who you feel might be interested in learning a bit more about environmentalism and sustainability as well. Thanks everyone, and I will talk to you guys soon.